when I started my first successful business, I had a like nine to five job, which was actually like eight to six, right? And I literally, you know, I was swimming competitively. So I'd wake up, do work for an hour on my startup, go swim, check my emails, go to work. I had an hour lunch break. So instead of like hanging out and having mindless chats with my coworkers, I used that hour to work. And then I worked another hour at the end of the night. So I really got half a day of work just by waking up early, going to bed a little later and cutting out the waste in my day. And that for the first nine months was perfect because I, I had to file trademarks, suppliers, get everything lined up. So by the time that I started getting momentum, I was able to use my paycheck, have stability and like keep it, keep it going. That is the man, Drew Levich and legends. You are listening to the Epic Table podcast. Welcome back, awesome people. Another week of excitement. Um, I'm blown away by the last couple of weeks. I feel like uh, I'm, I've just been constantly excited by the world at large. Uh, this podcast, if you didn't know, is all about helping you find your own human performance and learning about you know, things that are going on that we can improve for within ourselves and have the control to actually do so. I always say control the controllable. Uh, I'm Dan. I'm a chef. And if you didn't know, I'm the host of this show where I am excited to definitely dive into today's episode with Drew Levitch himself. We're going to talk more about Drew in a second, but need to update you on a couple of things going on in the world. Specifically, a little closer to home with me. Been in LA, was uh, an event for Tourism Australia, cooking up there. Uh, you know, it's always pretty awesome when you get to represent your country. It's something I always wanted to do growing up. So now being actually able to do it, tell people about our wonderful place down under and how many amazing things there are to see and do. Um, it's just a very passionate project of mine. So obviously, if you haven't already, make sure you go to Australia. I'll be uh, looking forward to doing so at some point uh, this year, myself, when I'm able to get back there. Uh, last week, I was also in LA for some center work, guys. I'm sure you may have seen the announcement uh, around the excitement around center and the new, um, the new exciting direction we're taking. So yes, more to come on that. I cannot tell you how much the team is pumped to get out even more content and means and ways for you to truly understand yourself through that health and wellness space. Using a lifestyle that's truly achievable for you. Um, but one of the biggest announcements for me personally is the Charlie Street team announced a national distribution launch, which means... We are now national in the US of A. It means anywhere in the US, you can go to charliestreet.com and purchase the product. It is something that's been in the works for a long time. A lot of um, you know strategic moves, <laughs> things going up and down, different areas to kind of really uh, facilitate. But um, after being in the Northeast for some time, a lot of people across social media wanting to try out the famous chorizo and the famous bolognese. That is plant-based, made entirely out of whole foods, really easy to cook with, but ultimately tastes epic. You can now do so. So honestly, team, I really know you guys support me already just by listening to the show. But if you wanted to cook something that's delicious, really easy to cook with, head to charliestreet.com and order yourself either a two-pack, combo pack, three or four-pack, whatever you want to do, of Charlie Street chorizo or bolognese. Personal favorite is definitely bolognese. Don't tell chorizo. He's kind of just in the dark about that one. Um, but honestly, it's just one of those things where you add to red sauce um, and you have got a very simple dish in minutes. So we created this product to not necessarily make sure that you had to go plant-based, but just help you eat more plants. So if you look and eat more plants, go to charliestreet.com and definitely hit up the products page where you can purchase your awesome, tasty chorizo bolognese. 
and team. Speaking of tastiness, Athletic Greens. We are in our awesome fasting week, being the first full Monday to Friday of April. So if you're looking to optimize on your fasting habits or potentially looking to support your gut health, then I've always been talking about this and been doing it for the past six and a half years. Every single day I have Athletic Greens, 75 minerals and vitamins, amazing prebiotics, amazing probiotics, and the digestive enzymes. So if you're looking to improve your gut, maybe you've been down with a bit of sickness or something like that, and you think you just need to reset, rather, head to athleticgreens.com forward slash epic. And by using that link and signing up, you'll be also receiving a vitamin D3 and K2 little droplet, which is one year's full supply for free. You also get five travel packs, which has been very handy for me, considering I've been traveling quite a lot and will be again next week as we help a fellow 10,000 athlete achieve a pretty phenomenal goal. So head to athleticgreens.com forward slash epic to receive your wonderful subscription pack, including your five free travel packs and your vitamin D3 plus K2. If you need to know more about that, head to my website about the specifics of why we require those nutrients in our life. But ultimately, it's a pretty amazing deal considering it's much cheaper than a cup of coffee per day. So Drew Levitch Legends. Drew is someone who has come from the finance realm. Now he is a just a like a pretty inspiring dude. I loved discussing many things on this podcast today, but most importantly was Drew's direction towards climate, uh, obviously sustainability. In, in a nutshell, you're going to hear today, he, he's gone from his finance background to having a massive eye-opening experience in Rwanda and Kenya to pretty much putting himself on this path to have a true impact on the world. Now, I know firsthand that one of the biggest challenges I face in the consumer packaged goods space, CPG space, is the amount of impact it has on the environment. So deciding on the right packaging, the right form of shipment, fulfillment, you name it, to get products to an individual is super critical, particularly if we are all on the same path of helping the world achieve the 20, uh, was it the, the sustainable development goals by the UN by 2030. So I'm really excited for you to hear his, more than anything, his attitude towards what we must be doing. I think that's so impactful for, for me personally. Is, He's, he's definitely taking action and we need to do so from the beginning. But here how Drew is going about finding unique ways to have a direct impact on sustainability, not just obviously in packaging, but the entire climate region as well. So I'm excited to hear Drew's stories, inspiration, and hopefully some of you who may be in the consumer packaged goods space, maybe you've been looking about sustainability and actions you can take within your own company, or even just at home, some of the things that you find uh, that you could be, you know, maybe, maybe just putting a little bit more effort in, because ultimately, just a little bit extra from all of us is what's going to make the massive difference. So, Drew, you are an amazing human. I appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much for just uh, honestly being inspiration to many. And also, guys, you're going to hear he uh, has done all this packaging through his mission uh, with Drew's Cookies for Drew's For Change Hopes to Inspire as many people in the new wave of modern environmentalism. So, Drew, welcome to the Epic Table Podcast, my man. Drew, connoisseur of blueberries. I just thought I'd say that to intro given our <laughs> introduction, mate. Welcome to the welcome to the Epic Table Podcast, dude. Thank you. Mate, just to... Uh, 
everyone else to give you context in that last comment. Drew and I, we, as always, I do like an audio test check. Um, and I don't know how many people you can relate to this, but Drew <laughs> is not a massive fan of strawberries. And in, in not even just – talk me through this, mate. I just want to get this context is – we talked about how in their entirety versus in a sauce, I just find, or even in a, a smoothie, you can still taste it. Yeah, I just, and, and the thing that's really unfortunate is I wish I could give you like a sustainability argument. Well, you know, strawberries <laughs> use X amount of water or something versus blueberries, but I just, I don't like biting into a strawberry. <laughs> you know, it like starts off kind of nice and soft and mushy. And then like very quickly, the consistency changes. Like, I think everyone secretly doesn't love strawberries compared well, to like you, a cherry or a berry, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to play, I'm, I'm going to play a diplomatic response between blueberries, strawberries, and all the other, all the other berries on this planet. Uh, I'm also interested to know if anyone actually at the Epic Table listeners is also in the same lane as Drew and's not a massive fan of strawberries, but that's not what this podcast is about. Um, but I'm generally interested because I've never heard that um, specifically before, but I'm sure there's people out there. In saying this, Drew, Drew, you've got like a an amazing story, man. Like I'm pumped to have you on this show to talk about it. And like I think when we get reached out to with respect to um, other companies or brands or whatever, there's, a, there's always a more underlying principle for why we – us truly having people on this show, there's always a bigger X factor, bigger message. And, and as always, it comes down to impact. And we're about to hear through your story, how impactful your, uh, your organization is. And it's just really awesome, man. So before we even get into, it, I just want to say it's, um, it's so, it's so incredible and inspiring and you draw so much hope from listening to people like yourself and seeing what you're doing with your businesses that we know that there's good people out there doing great stuff and that we just over time can tick away and do those things. And some people say we don't have enough time, but uh, I think, you know, looking at what you're doing, mate, it's really cool that you're one of the people leading the way with the way that you direct your business, which can be more expensive, less lucrative. uh, But at the end of the day, (laughs) at the end of the day, you're doing what's most importantly, right. But Drew, you did not start out in Drew's Cookies, which we'll learn more about in a second. I did not start out in Drew's Cookies, no. <laughs> Drew's Cookies, the brand we're going to be talking about in a second. But, mate, where did where did Drew begin? Because you are now in LA. You discussed being in, uh, in New York for a bit. Um, what, what took you to New York initially? You know, I, I grew up in the Midwest and uh, just it was, you know, it was the 90s and the late 90s and just kind of fell in love with, with New York. Um, funny story. I, um, you know, it was, it was like the visuals. I don't know if anyone can relate the original, like 1990s DK and Y ads that were like in details magazine with like the black and white skyline. Mm-hmm. And like, I remember seeing that as a kid and being like, I want to be there. So fast forward, like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, I'm at an event with Donna Karen, who was, you know, talking about her book. And I went up and I was like, like, I, I know you get like a lot of weird comments, but you're the reason that I went to NYU. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'm like, no, like it was your DKNY like spreads that made me fall in love with the city as a teenager. She's like, kind of gave me a shove, like a Seinfeld shove. And she's like, no one's fucking told me that before. Like, I'm like, no, like I'm for real. So that was the allure to, to New York where you kind of, you know, in your early 20s, you have this you're you're there's no bounds you know the city's there to explore the clubs and the fashion and the music and the restaurants and and the ideas and 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 
folks from literally all over the world, you know, like, uh, and I, I, it's just such a special place. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I'm here now. I know a lot of people, you're right, it draws people from all over the world. It's got that energy about it. It's got the energy of, I don't know, you just, you come here and people, people say that they don't, they can't put their finger on the specific um, emotion it brings, but it it's something, and it wants you to be be driven. It wants you to inspire. makes makes you want to wake up every day wanting to achieve something for either yourself or someone else. And it's it's you can't express it unless you've been here. I know everyone listening in. I'm sure if you've wanted to travel to New York over a couple of years and are excited to finally be able to do it. So when you do, come say hi to us at Charlie Street. But I I can only imagine the same shared values that you and I have drew that the rest of the Lepic table do as well, man. So, um, but this was, it's how long ago was this? I, I mean, I, so this was, well, I mean, I graduated in 99, uh, from NYU, but it's, I think it's the randomness. Like I remember in one night where we were at this club, this, this punk rock club. And it's like only in New York would this happen. Like, you literally are going out to, you know, go drinking with your like drag queen friend from Egypt where you're at a club with a woman in like, you know, like a leopard coat from the Upper East Side with like big bouffant blonde hair at a punk club where An- Angie Bowie is like reading poetry and like Drew Barrymore is sitting next to you. Like that only happens in New York. And that's like a Tuesday night, you know? <laughs> that's crazy. It so is crazy. I, uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I just think, I just think even being in the city close to people that, I don't know, yeah, you walk into a cafe and you just see some of the most amazing, uh, talented people just sitting there. You're like, wow. Like I used to watch these people do their work 15 years ago from Australia. And now I'm like sitting away from all that, you know, that, that's just, just even that alone is something that's inspiring. But yeah, only in New York do you see the most crazy things. And only in New York, in my opinion, can you do what you were talking about, go from place to place in the same night and uh, and it'll be a Tuesday as well. So yeah. Um, <laughs> but say that, man. So you went through, you did your NYU. What were you studying at NYU, by the way, mate? What was actually the degree? So I, I was studying economics, uh, mostly, you know, NYU style macroeconomics. Uh, nice. It was more of a math bent. So, mm-hmm. but... It was, it was a great school and amazing professors and um, amazing folks that would come in and guest speak. And, you know, just having that exposure of like, you know, brown bag lunches where Billy Joel would just come in or wow. wh- whoever it is. It's like you just get it. Spike Lee would, all, you know, come in like wow. Paul Volcker, the former Fed chairman, like all these yeah. folks would come in. So you get exposed to these ideas and this way of thinking. And um, it's it's humbling. So when you finished them, what ideas inspired you for your next approach? I, you know, it's an interesting phrase. What, what inspired me for my next approach? I think, I think we all at some point have to get in our, out of our head that our opportunity is much bigger than our, our present moment. And I, and I say that more as inspiration to everyone, anyone who's listening. Like we think we're limited by our resources. We're actually... More, we're limited by our ideas and what we think we're capable of achieving. So I think what I got out of that is how big and exciting the world is, how much opportunity there is to make change. And, and I'm saying change is a general point that can be in your own life um, and how much 
boundless creativity we all hold within ourselves, whatever that looks like, whether it's creating a business, creating a restaurant, creating a family, creating a life for ourselves as independent adults, creating. And so what were you doing at the time that was there like a part of you that was, I wouldn't say mundane, but you're going through the habitual nature of your life that it made you draw towards that? Like was it, I guess what I'm saying is, was the, was being the opposite to being creative, creating you the interest in being creative and looking outside your box. Does that make sense? Yeah, it looked out. Yes. But to look outside my box or one's box, I think we have to have a strong self of who we are. And I don't know that I had that, you know, in my early twenties and the way I do now, I think thinking out of my box was, you know, coming from the Midwest in New York is, and, it, and this is interesting because sometimes think it, it, we stay in our box, whatever that box is, or whoever moved our cheese, whatever saying we want to go with. It, it was <laughs> it was a matter of okay, well, I'm in New York, I'm in economics, I'm going to go into finance, I'm going to go into banking, and I got these great jobs, but it, but it wasn't me. It didn't speak to my heart in any way, and as a result of that, I wasn't good. So I think I think to get out of that box, I had to stay in it for a little mm-hmm. bit and understand like. This is so not me. Like, I don't want to do that. But that journey, I think for all of us to self-discovery, it took me many years. Some people can do it overnight in a few weeks, read a couple of books and boom, they're hyper-focused. But I think I wanted to do much bigger stuff and was going down the wrong down the wrong track. So you, how long were you in finance for? Cause it, and what was the actual job? Where were you at? So, wow, I'm going to date myself. I was at Lehman Brothers. So I started wow. out at Lehman. Yeah, I know. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like that guy. Like before that, I worked at Woolworths, you know, Montgomery Wards and and Sears. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was doing that for a few years and just kind of bouncing around. And and it it just like, you know, if there's there's folks that can sit in front of computers and be in offices and stuff all day, and that's that's amazing. Mm. Um, I I wanted to go down a more creative, exciting journal, uh, uh you know, entrepreneurial. And, you know, a friend of mine gave me Richard Branson's Losing My Virginity, which became like the Bible to me because, you know, him and like guys like Freddie Laker and um, uh, Herb Herb Kelleher from Southwest and even, you know, Bobby Brown, like those were like amazing entrepreneurs that were doing it before there were, you know, guys and gals like us that – you know, before it became accessible, they were really pushing the, the bounds and, and the limits of what was what was capable and what was able for some you know someone to do on their own. Yeah, if anyone's uh, never read "Losing Losing Your Virginity" or "Losing My Virginity" by Richard Branson, I definitely recommend reading that book, uh, particularly for learning entrepreneurship challenges. Just absolute gun home mentality as well. Another one's Shoe Dog as well. Just um, yeah, well, Shoe Dog's yeah. amazing. Yes, yeah, so good. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, I can understand that. Curious, actually, did you were, were you part? Of, did you leave prior to two thousand and eight at Lehman Brothers, or were you part of that situation? No, I I, I left banking in like the mid two thousands. And okay, cool. Good for you, man. Good for yeah, you. No, <laughs> and I mean, and I think that that there's you know there's a lesson in that. I mean, there's there's a lot of lessons, but. You know, I had friends that had worked hard for, you know, 10 years and put in the time and put in the weekends and gave up times with their husbands and their wives. And then it just all stopped. And that was yeah. it. Yeah. And and you have to look back at that and be like, well, what what's that all about? You know, what what is building a career about? What am I 
What do I want to sacrifice? What time can I not give back? What did I, what did I accomplish outside getting a paycheck during that time? So during that period of when you were banking and you discussed time and very philosophically, I might add, how did you reflect on your days at, and, and in a way that like you still didn't at that time yet come to the conclusion, I need to leave. So what I'm essentially saying is like you clearly didn't feel a part of this job. It wasn't you. It, it may have been steady for you. It may have been what you thought you previously were meant to do because of a expectation of economics and, you know, going to where you did. But like at the end of the day, I'm sure there's going to be moments where you say to yourself, this isn't me, yet you still get up and do the, the – get up the next day and go on, right? So what was that like? And then what was the light bulb moment for you? You know, the, I, there were those days, and I, and I think that we as just people naturally fall into a trap. We do what we think we're supposed to do. We buy a car or a watch because we're, we want to be part of a certain tribe or part of a certain club or do certain things or have this image. I think the light bulb moment for me was, you know, I, I was going to work one day and I had a, you know, a car pick me up and take me to work. And, and, and I just, I couldn't, I was, you know, I just couldn't have been more miserable. I had everything I wanted. I had everything that any business undergrad student can get and all the trappings of that. And it just, I felt dead inside, you know, like LA, you know, I get out, I'm at the beach, I'm, you know, going hiking, I'm, I'm, out for drives in the country and stuff and just not being that connected to nature, I think. And, and being in a job where there wasn't, um, there wasn't any creativity. I couldn't do anything. I wasn't making a difference. I think it just, it was stifling. Yeah. Huge. That making a difference part. Did you have any childhood or adolescent upbringing that would have invoked that naturally? Or is that something that just came to you as you got older? No, I mean, I, and this, this like kind of ties into, you know, my, my philosophy on environmental, environmentalism and sustainability is I spent a lot of time outside, you know, like sure. the, the outdoors and the trees and those were my homes and tree houses and building stuff and, you know, playing outside as, as a kid. Um, that, that's kind of like my go-to is, is having space, having the sun, having the sky, the trees, um, and, and I think that seven-year-old proverbial self that we all have, for most of us, our, our fun times were spent outside. We played outside. We ran outside. We had recess outside. We have this connection to nature and sustainability at a very early age that we don't even understand. And then like decades later, we get into adult adulthood and we look at sustainability or the environment as this like crazy liberal concept, but we forget we were all environmentalists in our like first 10 years and the outdoor was our home. So it's a question of like, where do we, how did we lose that as, as really as a civilization where we can't go back and take care of mother nature that kind of looked after us as children. That's so I think there's this gap. Yeah. You talk about, you talk about time, you talk about, you know, understanding true self and that same reflection. How do you, can you recall the moment, um, that you went about actually quitting. And I say this because I'm sure there's so many people who say it to themselves. I'm in this job that I don't 
enjoy. It's not me. It's steady. And and by any means, you know, you may have had different responsibilities to them where they are at now, whether they have kids, partners, you may or may not have had that. But I'm just purely interested how you went about that because that that in itself is um, – effectively you're doing it, right? You're taking action of what you thought about doing so often. And that can be anyone listening in right now can be like, you know, I'm in a job that I want to be a chef and I'm in a high paying job or I want to be um, more in performance or I want to be a yoga teacher. I want to finally do my PT certificate. And I just want to kind of wrap my head around that genuine experience that you went through so people can somehow go, oh, it makes so much sense. I've just got to do it. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I think the best advice, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna frame it more as advice, purely from my own experience, is that there's not we all glamorize this, I'm gonna tell everybody to fuck off and I'm gonna leave and start my own <laughs> business today. Hang on, hang on. I'm just I'm gonna go to Bloomingdale's and like buy some things and have lunch. Okay, okay, I'll start it tomorrow. <laughs> so you know, I, I don't the best advice I can give is don't look at it as this this moment where I'm going to leave, right? Because there's the mechanics of starting a business from the trademarks to forming the LLC to finding your suppliers. Like those can take months or sometimes years. So I say like, look at your time. Back to the theory of time. Like when I started my first successful business, I had a like nine to five job, which was actually like eight to six, right? And I literally, you know, I was swimming competitively. So I'd wake up do work for an hour on my startup, go swim, check my emails, go to work. I had an hour lunch break. So instead of like hanging out and having mindless chats with my coworkers, I used that hour to work. And then I worked another hour at the end of the night. So I really got half a day of work just by waking up early, going to bed a little later and cutting out the waste in my day. And that for the first nine months was perfect because I I had to file trademarks, suppliers, get everything lined up. So by the time that I started getting momentum, I was able to use my paycheck, have stability and like keep it, keep it going. Yeah. So you've done the approach where, and what was the new job by the way, just before I continue? The the new job was in construction. Awesome. So like you found yourself in a position where you didn't, like I think this is the, such a smart approach and I know people have gone full on hard into something, but it's the same thing that I did. It's like find yourself in a great transition stage where you have maximizing your time because time is the most important value here. Whether you've just been, I, I say this all the time, whether you've just been let go from a business or you've been restrained, like you've had more time bring up your sleeve, that is amazing. Congratulations. You have more currency for the most valuable asset we have in our life. From there, yeah. you use that wisely. No, thank you. you. You've got to use it wisely. The other wise thing I would add is um, for anyone listening who's thinking of starting a business, hang out with people who are running successful businesses. And if you don't know them, find them. Go to conferences. Talk to people. They'll, they'll be your inspiration. They'll be your mentors. They'll be your guiding, your guiding light. So if you're thinking of starting a business, don't tell the people that like are you're working with that you're starting a business because they don't want to see you succeed. That you know, like talk to people that have the mere people that are doing what you want to do, find them, talk to them. Don't ask them to lie. It's like, dude, do you have 10 minutes? I can talk to you on the phone and like pick your brain. Very few people will say no to that. Yeah, exactly. Just grind, 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 grind. Grind. It's a grind. (laughs) You have to be, you have to be stupid. You, you have to be really stupid 
to think you can pull it off. But the reality is that stupidity is very short lived because you'll. I love that. Time. I'm a very stupid person. Then I'll tell my mom. I'm sure she would. Yeah. Stupid. I just you said something earlier. You said limited buyer ideas, and I kind of want to just focus on that and double click on that for a second. Um, what do you? Can you kind of go into more of a, an explanation? Huh? Of what specifically? Of which part? So you were talking about earlier how we as individuals can be limited by the broad spectrum of so many ideas as opposed to focusing on certain things just, just in front of us. Like for example, and the way that I interpreted this note was for me, like I, if I had a grocery store and this is, this is like if someone said to me, I have all the ingredients in the world for you to cook with, I, my head would be, I would not be out of, I would be so much harder pressed to come up with a dish compared to if you said I have four ingredients, what do you want to make? So like if you think about that from our headspace of sometimes we have so many ideas out there and all we need is just one or two to help us focus. And I feel that when I know when I was at, um, before I was a chef, I found myself having so many things going on that I wasn't focused on this one thing, which is ultimately being being involved in food. But once once I focused my attention on that, I was able to just be really clear about what my end goal was. And that was what helped me jump ship. Does that make sense? Uh, it makes complete sense. You had clarity about what that end goal is. And I think the clarity on what that end goal is relative to what our using the economic term like competitive advantages because we're not we're not amazing at everything we might be better at three things so let's focus on the three things we're better at hire people to do the other thing and then have that clarity of what that looks like it might be an exit it might be an amazing dish it might be filling your restaurant on a saturday night with like a mushroom themed dinner like whatever that is back to your ingredients i don't know why i thought of mushrooms but um, it's a hot topic right now, man. Mushrooms are real hot. It, it, I, no, it actually it, it is a hot topic. That must, yeah, <laughs> mushrooms, mushrooms are the new pot, apparently. Dude, but, it's crazy. The amount of mushrooms I've been sent, like different varieties, different uh, formulations. Um, I just got sent a new protein that's based out of like our chorizo and bolognese is predominantly mushrooms, specifically these ones that are Chilean bass. And like the fact that I'm now describing the note of a mushroom as Chilean bass is like, these things are so sexy, man. Sorry to kind of go on a tangent, but like the, the world of mushrooms is exciting. I may have to do a whole podcast on that in a second. But um, I, I think you're going to have to do a whole podcast because the strawberry lobby is going to send you like a truckload of strawberries. They're going to be sending them to me and then sending them yeah. to you just to get you uh, just back on track. Forwarding, forwarding you. Um, but yeah, I, I, think, I think it's having the clarity. I think knowing what you want to do and then kind of reverse engineering into that. So it's like, if you want to open, I mean, I can't speak if you want to open up. It's like, if I want to start a business and reach a certain sales number or a certain number of products, like you got to back into that. Like it's, mm. so I think that's where everyone gets excited about starting up and then, but then they like kind of maybe peter out because they got there and then there was, there was that clarity didn't exist. Totally. I, I speak to people about the first major bump they come across. I think people go across that motion of looking what it looks like to jump ship, but then all of a sudden they've realized the first bump and that first bump is actually like, actually, I don't know if I can do this. And I guarantee you people listening in, when you see the first hurdle, that's the first of 
millions of hurdles. So if you can't make that first one, you have to really look past what you're truly in it for because there's in any business, particularly your own, there's going to be hurdles. So I'm interested to know you've construction, business on the side. What got Drew into Drew's cookies? Was he baking at home? Was he uh, just having some downtime, getting creative? Was his North Star always to open up a cookie shop? What is it? Yeah, so it we it started out more as sustainability, as a sustainability exercise. I mean, I I like cookies because cookies make people happy. Cookies are fun. It's a it's a when I say demographic, you know, thing. Everybody loves cookies. Um, but it really the Drew's cookies came out of wanting to do something for the planet to do like a, a, a not like a profit, non-for-profit give back to get involved with the charities. And then we looked at well, what, what are, what are, like, what's the most fun? And it's, it's cookies. Like what's the most relatable is cookies. Cause we really want something. We chose cookies one, because we love ch- cookies, particularly chocolate chip, but cookies are something you can sit with friends, with strangers, with people you just met. And you like coffee, you can have a conversation around them. You can share a plate of cookies or a tray of cookies in our case. And you can, there it's it bring cookies bring people together yeah and man that's why we i dude i uh i remember we like we don't we actually do have cookies in australia i think there's a massive difference between cookies and biscuits so we hear biscuits in in america biscuits are like biscuits and gravy we call biscuits technically i, I guess scones in australia or britain um but i remember the enjoyment of a biscuit uh, with my family. And that's, you know, it's just like the, the natural wonders of what it does. It's also delicious. It's got a perfect amount of chew, uh, all, all the wonderful things. So I love how that is the draw card, if you will, to impact. But where did the impact come from? I know you talked about your relationship with the environment, the, uh, the ability to want to be outdoors. But what was the moment that you've gone, I'm going to make a difference by starting a business that's going to not only uh, that's actually going to give back to something that I feel one with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I actually know that moment. I had started this business uh, about 10 years ago, started it and exited it. And I started a cancer. We were selling this product and, you know, like you have this moment where you're starting a business and you think you run the world and you're like running to airports to fly first classes and a Jay-Z and like just the whole world is your oyster because you're like you're like doing it. Right. And in the midst of all that, I got this email from this woman that was going through chemotherapy and she she had gotten one of our products at a hospital gift shop. And she, I'd never met her, didn't know her, but she sent me a picture of her going through chemo with her doctors and her nurses. And she wanted to thank me for making everybody laugh and making it easier. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, who the fuck am I? Like, how is it that I was able to do something that like made this random strangers like whole chemotherapy better? But not only that, she took the time selflessly during that procedure to email some stranger at some general email. And I found that really touching. So with that, I started this cancer charity right before I exited the business. And we got, um, it changed my life. Not in the sense that like I got richer or poor or anything like that, but it put my life on a totally different you know, trajectory where the conversations I had were different. The business was now better. My 
my relationships with my retailers and customers were better because people would come and tell me, oh, I, you know, I, I love that you're doing something with cancer. My aunt died and stuff. So it gave this currency of vulnerability that, that I could share with, with, with strangers. And I, I, that business uh, came to a close for me shortly thereafter. And then I started another business where there was no give back component. And I was selling things on Amazon. And I actually hated my days because I was just in front of a computer, not really creating much. I mean, we we were making a difference in some things, but so and then and then COVID hit, and you know, I looked back on like you know, I don't know, the past 10, 15 years of what what have I done, and what do I have available? What are my resources, and what do I want to do next? Right, and combine that with what are the big problems of the day? And I realized that you know, with all my success. I, I don't know that I was fully, fully fulfilled. So I wanted to use my career in a post COVID world, um, you know, and, and give back. Like I, I've made enough money, I, you know, materialistically, I didn't, I didn't really need, I didn't need much more. I don't need, I don't need much more. And so, um, you know, I got with some friends and we started, started talking about where, where's the greatest need for change or one of the greatest needs for change in consumer product goods. And that was packaging. And it's like, okay, well, what's something fun and amazing that we all love? And it was cookies. So we, that's where we made the bridge and, and that's how Drew's cookies came about. And then from there, I started talking to friends who ended up being on boards of, both local and international organizations that were, you know, planting trees or taking herb, you know, making urban farming out of blighted parking lots and urban centers, growing organic produce to help feed impoverished communities. So there were there, I had this network. I just didn't tap into it in, in that way yet, but I have now and it's cool. It's crazy when you get to meet people and then down the line, you, you realize that like, Hey, that that's actually a really cool resource for me to, tap into and just get, um, you know, help from. Um, that's awesome, dude. So just to kind of outline Drew's cookies for a second, you've got the product, all right? Okay. Now I look at, you've got the product itself, but then you've got more importantly what I think the business is. And the business is actually this act of the trees and everything else going on. So can you kind of just in a nutshell explain the different legs and arms of the business? Um, and, and I guess then the, you've already discussed it, but the value around the core. So let me let me start. If where do you want to start? I'd like to start with the value of the call. I love because, that. That's that's what extends everything from here. Yeah, yeah, because that's what helped us. So the the kind of proverbial forty thousand foot view is a term um, economics of mutuality, meaning the old model of the free market system where you buy a good and somebody sells a good and that's it. And the, and that dialogue, that conversation, that transaction started and ended and it's done who your management is. I don't care how you package your goods. I don't care what values politically, socially, culturally you have. I don't care. I'm just buying your good. So if we bridge that uh, economics and mutuality, we wanted to set up Drew's where, not only are we selling you one of the best like cookies that you can buy in a package, not only are we doing a fully sustainable trade, but we want to be completely transparent in that whole process. So, you know, where like that's we want to give back. We want when you buy with us, you're, you're really voting in an organization or a business that is, you know, for change, for sustainability and wants to make a difference. And we're giving 100% of the profits away and all that stuff. 
Dude, um, this is huge. So can you define what fully sustainable trade means? Because that can be, yeah. Okay. So if if we look at like a regular cookie tray on, let's say, Tate's or Oreos, it's plastic. When you buy it, it's going to, it's, it's with us for thousands of years somewhere, most likely in the ocean. So what we did is we spent about a year and a half to two years coming up with a fully post-consumer, fibrous, recycled, upcycled cookie tray, meaning that there's no plastics involved. So that the whole toxicity of plastics and touching food is, is eliminated with that. And then it's, it's post-consumable. I mean, it's, it's, there's no plastic in that tray. That tray will go away and, I don't know, depending on how it compost, you know, if it's in the dirt or mud, but it's not, it's not going to poison fish. It's not going to be in the ocean. It's not going to be in our landfills in a hundred years. Yeah. So this is, this is uh, something that we've experienced at Charlie Street. Like we said from the start, we wanted to be doing exactly that. We didn't want to have to think about it later and then either build into our margins or, you know, all of a sudden on now we are, we were like from the start, our, our pouches, our packaging had to stand for what we throughout stood for we couldn't be putting you know whole ingredients inside a pouch that were great for the environment and great for you but the pouch itself was crap because uh, the more right. we sold the worse it got so i'm really excited to hear about this man i know on top of that the price associated with doing this is um it, it is a proud extra expense it's probably the best way i put it very expensive um, we're, we're, we're at the cut, we're at the edge of the technology where we can do it, but it's more expensive. It took a lot of development. It took a lot of coordination. It took a lot of R and D even to make sure that, you know, through the different heat cycles of shipping and the, and the, you know, chocolate melting and then refreezing everywhere in that, that we wouldn't degrade the tray when it gets to our customer, our cookie lover. And we, you know, so we had to keep those things in mind that it didn't, it didn't visually look bad. And the trays are holding up well. I mean, it's kind of the first gen of, of what we're doing. And as far as the expense, it's expensive. But if, if you break it down, and, and this goes on to another topic of why we're having these conversations, is that what does that money represent, right? Like, the delta between a plastic tray and like one of our fully upcycled recycled trays, like it'd be me getting a hair transplant, you know, like I can put off my hair transplant and a Rolex watch for the betterment of the planet, you know, like I'm not even joking. Like, so, and, and it also gets to the big, like, I think, and we'll find out over the next year or two as we roll the brand out, I fully believe in the good of people and that they will want to move and pay any type of premium for more sustainable packaging. I think we've seen that definitely with, um, you know, how, (laughs) I I mean, I know this firsthand. I think the age of people wanting to be more involved with giving back or being impact um, purchase conscious is the best way I've been putting it is it's definitely on the rise. You look at, you even look at funds out there now that are only, you know, only investing in or providing opportunities for sustainable investments and they're younger, they're younger funds. You look at, like I just was at Expo West 
And everyone there who was doing innovative things was in this younger, more open to – when I say younger, I'm not going to you know, say that um, people of a certain bracket aren't doing this. I'm just saying that it is exciting to see that the way that um, the new generation are coming through with products or even perspective. And you look at Gen Z, like a lot of their stuff is around equality and impact-driven product um, you know, perspective. And it's so exciting for me because I know then ultimately it's like supply and demand. If the, if the demand for a product is not there, it's not going to succeed. So if you have an impact product and it's not going to do well, then ultimately you don't have a business, which means you don't have impact. But if you have a product that even if, even a competitor product, if I see a competitor that's doing extremely well in the same market as me, that's exciting to me to know one, uh, that the consumer is there. That means the view is there, the perspective is there for people to want to pay a little bit more for what is going to truly impact the planet in the right ways that need to be done. Well, and and that impact is key because I think the dialogue, especially with the younger generations, the Gen Z are great at the millennials and Gen X, is we have to look at it not as a purchase, almost as a vote. Because if we're on Instagram and we're on Facebook and we're tagging things about the environment and climate change and the oceans and all that, and then we walk in to a store and we buy something that has everything that we just said we're against, what are we doing, right? So we have to purchase, we have to vote for products that that move the needle. And, you know, if you're on, what is it, um, Worldopedia, like we're, we're at about 9.5 billion people on this planet. We'll be at 10 billion people by about 2025, 2026. So let's take that dialogue around packaging, just packaging, not even greenhouse gases, not even climate change, not even you know, the Amazon, just on pure packaging of those 10 billion people, they're going to want to buy cookies. They're going to want to buy water. They're going to want to buy, have things shipped and move. So the, the sustainability around packaging with 10 billion people on the planet, it's all going to end up in the ocean if we don't make responsible steps today. And, you know, brands like Drew's and other brands that are moving to sustainable packaging and the give back, because I think the other thing is to move the needle is, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb. I think part of the challenge and why we're hitting on the younger generations right now and the and the reason that – look at Tide. Tide's making the same laundry detergent in the same huge-ass plastic tubs. Why? Because the, the vice presidents that manage the different product groups are incentivized on revenue by the quarter. They're not incentivized by their sustainability footprint. I don't have a degree – in chemical engineering or packaging or sustainability. I put my mind to it, a couple of dollars, and it's happening. So if I can do it, there's no reason that some folks with an MBA at, at Procter & Gamble, I mean, I bought razors at Gillette's and it's disgusting. I actually quit buying, I mean, they're like, I, I like I, I needed like a blowtorch and some knives and, and, and stuff like that. And there's no reason that in, in this day and age that Procter and Gamble and Gillette can't come up with more sustainable packaging for a razor. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to put the pressure back on the public companies that essentially are creating the majority of the waste that's, that's going out there. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. And you know, that, that same perspective, Unfortunately, the public companies where they're paying out dividends to people as well, like they, they feel like they have a responsibility for their shareholders, which are totally 
I, I get that. I know like, yeah, being involved in business, I understand what's to be a shared, shareholder and to have them. But at the same time, it's like, I think the, yeah, we, we do have to put more pressure on these, these, these parts of the supply chain. And, and I'd, I'm interested to know if you, if you look at your supply chain and look at the way that it's, are you guys negative um, uh, in terms of how much impact on emissions you have? You know, that's a tricky question. I, I don't know. Um, we try to keep our supply chain and how we ship and how we box and the resources that we use as minimal as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, we're not overboxing stuff. We use paper in our boxes. We don't pad things with bubble wrap and things like that. So we yeah. looked at what our UPS boxes ship and so that we can get everything tight. So we've taken those steps in looking at that, that whole ecosystem. Yeah, because just to break this down, everyone listening in, when it comes to shipping any product or good, you obviously have the mandates of your company. So what you guys want to make sure the product gets from one end to the other. You also then have what is required by the, the logistics companies. And then you have other companies as well that are involved even responding to those companies. And so along the way, there's actually different rules and regulations you have to abide by, which does make it a little tricky because you may want something, but the the rules and regulations of the whole operation, which is outside of your control, means you have to do certain things. For example, shipping with dry ice. It's been a massive challenge for us. And like the day that someone comes up with some sort of packaging that can allow dry ice or a cold, um, cold immersed product to stay cold during a shipping process i would love to learn about it if anyone knows anything going on right now that is a business in itself because that is a huge issue we are facing but outside of that you obviously got um, the we found a really cool green cell foam which actually when you run it underwater it disintegrates so that's really cool like it's that's, that's exciting but it's still in even the packaging it's in the pouch it's in you do question it says it's not you know, it's, it's post, right? So, you know, it's not that bad. It's not bad, but you still question like, is this even needed? Do we even need this part of the product line? And, and according to regulations, we do need it. So right now, just like you, and this is, this is interesting conversation because we are trying to do as best as we can to minimize packaging because we, we know we don't need it. We feel like, mate, I get sent boxes, very blessed to get sent lots of boxes throughout the year just because what I do. And I'm, I open these things up, man. I'm just like, wow. It's like the Russian doll. What do you call that? That doll set? What's that thing called? Yeah, it just keeps coming out. Mate, it's just one thing after the other after the other and like gets down to this like one quarter of the actual pouch. Like I just, I do get concerned. It's like as companies grow, people like myself, I, I'm, there's so many of us out there, send us smaller packaging and pouches, less <laughs> – like, we're not ungrateful. I don't mean my incense, but I'm just saying that there are certain things that there are regulations you have to abide by, which I think that as you're talking about, you know, now, Drew, is like we need to be putting pressure on people to make those changes. The second thing is as a company, as a responsibility for this planet, your product, the, what it comes in is just as important as the product itself. And I think that's just something that people often overlook. And I'm, I'm by no means, you know, unrealistic to the cost associated with that. Like, I, I know that. You know, a company like us, particularly in a startup phase, you're just like, well, you know, you speak to Kieran, my CFO, that's a huge chunk of your margin just going in packaging. So and I know the cost. I'm just saying that, that there definitely needs to be a greater emphasis on the product packaging as it is on the packaging, as is the product itself. And, and the packaging can also be used as, as, a, as a teaching tool. I think as more people come into the loop on what sustainable packaging is, 
having the dialogue about that, letting people know that a lot of R&D has gone in to make it safe, and letting folks know that that purchase, the things you click on Amazon have a negative or positive or neutral context on the planet. And I, and I think actually speaking of Amazon, um, you know, one, one of the things, you know, people always are, oh, I can't make a difference. I'm just one person or I can't do anything. I think going through Amazon and leaving reviews, like if I bought a Gillette razor and I'm like, hey, love the razor, but you guys, one star, you got to reduce the packaging. If enough folks do that, that message gets up to, to the higher floors where they're like, oh, you know what? Our ratings drop from 4.1 to 3.2 on our packaging and we're losing business. And then folks will start making changes and that, that change will come very quick. Yeah, man. Amazon is one of those things where you cannot control the reviews. So if they go up, they go up, which means it does affect your SEO. So that, that is definitely a motivating factor when it comes to, there no. should be almost like a, maybe there should be a review for the product and then a review for the packaging. I mean, I'm, I'm all about obviously having it under the one, but um, I know dealing with Amazon now is we're about to ship nationwide with Amazon. They're talking more about these products that they actually, they do also talk about wanting to emphasize putting the products who are making an impact up more, like just naturally through their, through their, you know, own uh, channels, which is, which is exciting. They are a massive company that does, that should, if anyone in this planet should be doing it is them because they're a logistics company. Um, that's a whole other company. That's a whole other subject. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, mate, let's talk about, the trees. This is huge. So your partnership and, and is the organization, is it, what's the actual part of the, the tree organization? I was trying to pronounce it. Is it start with a Z? Yeah, it's the, it's the Zeiss Foundation. I had some friends that are, uh, they're in Kenya and they're involved with the Zeiss Foundation. So pre-revenue just to already establish a relationship, let people know, you know, that we're serious. We've already planted a few thousand trees. The reason that we picked them is you know, planting trees is tricky. I think a lot of mayors in the past few years of everybody's wanted to plant trees. They plant them, they die, they're not maintained properly. So we want to go with an organization and a foundation that was already dealing, had staff on the ground, could plant the trees, um, maintains the trees. So that was, that was really important to us. Yeah. So this organization, judging by just listening, to, uh, listening and watching what they're trying to achieve, they want, is it 10 million trees or is it three, no, three million trees from 2020 to 2030. Is that correct? It's like such a uh, massive amount. Of, check that number. Yeah. yeah like, it's, a, uh, it's a big undertaking and yeah, it's, it's in the millions. Huge. And this came about because of your a visit to Kenya and Rwanda. So you correct. had, was, so like, what was that experience like, by the way, man? I can't wait to visit, visit that. I, it's, Africa is just, it's just such a special place. I mean, it, it really is. The people are amazing and, and getting to see uh, Africa on safari is, it's really a humbling, it's, it's very humbling because you're, there's a lot to reflect on as far as nature and our own lives and the sunsets are incredible. And it's just, everything's amazing. That's so Can't good. wait to go back. Yeah. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped to do that. I'm absolutely pumped of, uh, I don't know, I just have a look at a lot of, I like, I, I get thrilled to see different cultures, foods, and I see that and then what it stands for and sees, you know, what they have access to is obviously driven by what their food has been over time. So I, I love seeing that and what they, what they, you know, come up with. It's really, really cool. And, and so, here's, here's, here's what happened in Kenya. So we're going, we're going through the airport and the guy, this custom guy opened my bags and starts pulling things out. And I'm like, dude, there's no drugs in there. He's like, I'm not looking for drugs. I'm looking for plastic bags. I'm like, what? Plastic bags are illegal in Kenya. 
Wow. No plastic bags. So all of the, you know, thank you bags and the, and the plastic bags with the handle, not allowed, don't exist. Everything's paper. And Kenya's doing that. I, like the United States, like we should be doing that. Wow. I'm, yeah. I, I, I had no idea. Yeah. No plastic bags. And how long has that been in, in, you know, I guess, how long has that been initiated for? Do you know? I think a, I think a few years at least. I'm not, I'm not sure. Once it, once it became an issue. I mean, but that was, that was an easy change. And, and there's a lot of pride in the folks there, even at the airport, checking to make sure no one's bringing in, you know, some bootleg plastic bags. Mate, if, if a country like that is putting their foot down, I just feel so inspired to, you know, see it happen elsewhere. I mean, we're seeing it at grocery stores are starting to showcase, you know, the, they're putting their foot down as well. There is change happening, which is really, really exciting. So for every, every bag of cookies that you sell, how many trees get planted? Uh, we don't have a number. So what we're doing now is uh, full profit. So I would say um, right now we've done about 2,500 trees. So Awesome. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we have an exact number until until we figure out our exact margins and shipping and all that. Yeah, stuff. of course, man. I'd say um, close to one. I mean, you know, yeah, close to yeah, one or two. Well, you know, That's we'll awesome. have a definite number on that in like six six months to twelve months. Same That's with so all the farms that we're doing in Compton. Sick. Yeah, actually, that was my next question. That I had a look at the video on the website. So, what's your relationship with Alma? So we've we've made a we've made a, a donation to Alma. Alma's here in Compton, and our relationship is we're you know we're a supporter of the work that they do, and then what we have coming up over the next few months I would call events. So because we're giving our profits away, we're not doing like fancy launch parties or there's no like you know no no open bar or anything like that. So in lieu of those launch parties. We're doing activations like we'll do um, yoga one day at Alma on a Sunday when they have their farmer stand. So I'll bring my friend Ari from Ari's Army and uh, she's do uh, yoga at Equinox. We'll do a yoga day. We'll have our friends together. Everybody's got to pay like 20 bucks, $22, $22 sponsors a bag, of gro- a bag of fresh produce for a family in Compton. So those are the types of events as, as Drew's Cookies or at Drew's for Change that we're doing in lieu of traditional like parties, you know, and, and it engages awesome. people in or in farming in the middle of a city, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. This thing's so cool, dude. So you're middle of Compton, this farm, which is built by the community for the community. It looks epic, man. Yeah. You know, like the food looks great, delicious, you know, just colorful ingredients, but it's, it's, it seems like it can be the, the real, heartbeat of a, a location in america it's notorious for having such a bad rap so like it's exciting to see things like this taking place and for yourself to be backing it in your own way and i think it's a very smart smart approach to not be doing you know huge launch parties but to be putting your money in a place where it's probably gonna have greater impact and ultimately the community that will be purchasing it anyway yeah and in Alma also uh, takes ex-inmates who are re-entering society and gives them job training and a purpose and a place to be. So there's st- there's staffing and a lot of doing the hard work. And so there's that extra bonus of really giving giving folks like a second chance that may not have grown up or had the same circumstances that you and I or a lot of our listeners have that may have gone down the wrong path and, and have you know made amends with whatever that experience is. And 
and they're out they're out farming and, and uh, you know having some skills. Drew, mate, I'm um, I'm excited for what the future holds for you, man. So, where where would be at, like where would people be able to get cookies right now? Is it just a website right now? Yeah, uh, Drewscookies.com, or they can follow us on Instagram at, at Drews for Change. Love that. As you listeners have heard, this podcast has been a lot about impact, particularly, but you potentially could also have impact by creating a product just like Drew has in a way that perhaps is the product isn't actually what the ingredient is but the product is what you stand for I think that's what's so incredible with what you've done Drew is whilst yes you have something that people can purchase to have an impact but your your greater product is your message and your drive to inspire people to also make the innate decision to go the right route so man I I just want to say I'm really stoked for someone like to to have someone like you to talk to about this and i'm drawing on plenty of inspiration myself so thank you for being you man i I have no doubt that you'll probably open up a whole supply chain business once this tray situation comes to fruition for many more people so um mate super excited for you and thank you for being part of the epic tale podcast dude thank you for your support always man